For those of you who are visiting, my name is Greg Boyd. I'm the uh, senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. And um, I am just right now overwhelmed by the power of God and the presence of God. There's nothing more beautiful than looking out from up there at the people of God, worshiping Him and seeing Him glorified in the worship of His people. Uh, This is life itself. This is joy itself. I I pray that, uh, you know, it's it's good to celebrate Easter once a year, and it's good to celebrate Christmas once a year. Um, But it really is the case that if this is something that you uh, think about once a year, you're not understanding what it's about. You know what I'm saying? Um, To know that Christ is risen from the dead, that God became a man, died on a cross, and rose again from the dead for your sins... Uh, is something which, if you understand it and believe it, it's got to transform your life uh, every day of the week. Uh, It's something you live in, you walk in, you think in, you breathe in. It becomes the center of your life. And so my prayer this morning is for those who are are here, and maybe, you know, this isn't something that you're, you're regular at. Maybe this is kind of weird to you right now. That's fine. That, that's, that's okay. Uh, and maybe you want to understand a lot of what I'm going to talk about. But I would pray that the Holy Spirit uh, would, would move on you to begin to see you, uh, show you, reveal to you just how profoundly significant uh, and life-transforming and, uh, and the eternal difference that Christ makes in your life. In fact, I want to pray that right now. Father, open our eyes, the eyes of our understanding. Lord God, that we may see more profoundly than we've ever seen before. Lord God, the truth of who you are and what you came to do and how you defeated your foes and how you've set us free. Use this word now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We've been uh, studying... uh, 1 Corinthians, and actually the message this morning is going to be a continuation of our study of 1 Corinthians. Uh, We've been at it for about five or six weeks, and we're through about chapter 1. But what we've seen here the last four weeks or so is that um, uh, we've been hitting on the theme of the wisdom of God and the foolishness of the world, and what we've shown there is that the wisdom of God looks foolish to the world, and the wisdom of the world is foolishness to God. So God intentionally uses foolish things in the world to confound the wise and weak things to confound the strong. Okay, that's kind of God's strategy for world history. He, he wisely uses things that look foolish to accomplish His will. It's part of His strategy. Nowhere is this more beautifully, more powerfully illustrated and exemplified than in the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is the supreme example. The example par excellence. Um, the sine qua non of uh, theological truth. Uh, that uh, of, of God using apparently foolish things to confound the wise. And so this is what I want to speak on this morning. A, a, lot of, a lot of believers, even believers, they of course appreciate the resurrection. They're thankful for the resurrection, but they're not quite sure what the resurrection does, why it was important, why it had to happen. It's just sort of a fact. But it will help you appreciate it more, to understand it more deeply. And so I want to look at the wisdom of God illustrated in the resurrection. Um, what I want to show here is that the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, like everything else about the life of Jesus Christ, was a military move. It was a, a military strategy. He showed military wisdom. You've got to understand the whole life of Christ is sort of a covert operation against Satan, God's arch enemy. And everything about Christ's life, his miracles, his exorcisms, his death and his resurrection, has to be understood in a warfare context. If you don't believe in spiritual warfare, it's very hard to really understand what Jesus was about. The same is true of the resurrection. Now, this is a theme that I've preached on, I've touched on a couple times before, but I haven't for a couple of years, and it's one that uh, it bears repeating. Um, It has to do with the wisdom of God illustrated in the resurrection. There are five facts 
Five biblical facts I'm going to briefly lay out in front of you. If you have your Bibles, uh, you know, get ready. If you're quick enough to keep up with me, uh, find the verses and read along with me. But I'm going to lay, we're going to be like theological detectives here for the next 20 minutes. I'm going to lay out five theological truths. I'm going to bring them all together and show the wisdom of God in the resurrection. I'm going to make two applications about it, and then we're going to celebrate. So here's how it's going to go. The first fact, number one, is Ephesians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Found it good. Listen to this. Paul says that though he's the least of God's people, God gave him grace to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So what he's talking about here are the unsearchable riches of Christ, the the, the, the infinite depth of wisdom found in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Administration means the economy or the working out of this mystery. See, okay, there's a mystery. It has to do with the unsearchable wisdom of Christ. And Paul's job is to proclaim this to all people, this mystery that is now being worked out. Make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God. Okay, there's a wisdom, there's a mystery that was kept hidden in God that's now been revealed. God who created all things. Look at verse 10. Many of you didn't know this before, but God's intent was that now, this is one of the central things, God's intent was that now, through the church, we are the church, through the church, the manifold, that means the multi-layered, multi-faceted, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authority in the heavenly realms. One of the central purposes of the church is to make known, to declare uh, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God. Um, the wisdom of God that was kept hidden for ages, uh, it's, it has to do with the unsearchable riches of Christ, but now has been made known. And one of the main jobs of the church is to declare that. Hmm. According to his eternal purpose, verse 11, his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the central wisdom, this wisdom that was kept hidden, but is now made known that the church is to declare to the heavenly realm, essentially focused on Jesus Christ as Lord. That's fact number one. Got it? All right. Fact number two. I didn't hear you say, got it? Okay, good. Fact number two. This wisdom that was kept hidden throughout history and is now made known in the person of Jesus Christ centrally has to do with defeating Satan. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. says this. For the reason why this Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil and his works. The central reason why the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil and his works. People who don't believe that there's a real devil out there and there are real principalities and powers and demons out there who don't believe in spiritual warfare can't possibly understand what Jesus Christ is all about because the central reason why Jesus came was to end this war that's been going on for eons between him and, the, and his enemy, Satan. The central reason why Jesus Christ appeared was to destroy the devil and his work. Hebrews 2.14, this is an Easter passage if ever there was an Easter passage. It says this, for the reason why the Son of God was manifested was to destroy the one who had the keys to the power of death, had the keys to death. Amen? The grim reaper himself has been destroyed on Easter morning. And that was the, one of the main reasons why Jesus Christ came, to destroy the devil and his works and to obliterate him who had the keys to the power of death. That's Satan's domain. Okay, now the wisdom of God was kept hidden from the ages, but now has been made known. It's manifested to the heavenly realm through the church, and it's centered on Jesus Christ. More specifically, it's centered on the way that Jesus Christ destroyed the enemy. 
He says this in Luke chapter 11, verse 22 and 23, that uh, he's come to tie up the strong man, to bind, to bind the strong man, that his army may pillage his house. We are the army. We're to pillage the house. But the only reason why we can do it, this is taking back from the, from, from the demonic realm everything that belongs to God. Our job is to be spreading the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. The reason why we can pillage the enemy's house is because he has tied him up. And the way he's bound him, the way he's overcome him, is his wisdom that's been revealed that we are to declare to the heavenly realm. Okay, fact number three. And now it gets more interesting. Demons throughout the ministry of Jesus, they know who he is, but they don't know why he's here. This is an important fact. Maybe you never noticed this before. In Mark chapter 1, for example, he's uh, going around ministering and he confronts a person who's demonized. That's a reality. And um, uh, this, the, the, the demon inside of this person hollers out, Son of God, why are you here? He knows who he is. He's the Son of God. A lot of humans don't, but demons know what's going on in the spiritual realm, so they say, Son of God, we know who you are. You are the Holy One of Israel, it says here in verse 24, chapter 1, book of Mark. But have you come to destroy us? Now, actually, uh, that's true. He had come to destroy them, but he wasn't going to do it just then. But see, they don't know. What they're saying is this. Is it judgment day already? Is our time up? We, 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 for some reason, we thought we had a little bit longer to go. They're, they're, they're caught off guard here. There's a sense of surprise there, and you find that throughout the Gospels. So the demons know who he is, but they don't know why he has come. Store that away. They'll become important here pretty soon. Fact number four. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. Not only do the demons not know why Jesus has come, they know who he is, but they don't know why he's come, but Satan himself and all the high-ranking principalities and powers in the, uh, the enemy army... They also apparently know who Jesus is, but they don't know why he has come. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8. I just love this. I, I, I just love this theme. I, 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 I'm, I'm going to tell you I'm enjoying myself here. Uh, this is the wisdom of God. God is so incredibly smart. <laughs> He's genius. You'll see. Look at verse 8. Uh, wait, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in Ephesians. Here, hang on. It, it's at moments like this that I wish I had that lapel with me, but this one just sounded so much better. Okay, it, it went out on me this morning. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says this. Let's, let's, let's start with verse 7. Uh, we speak, Paul says, we, that's the, the, the preachers, speak of God's secret wisdom. There's that secret wisdom again, the wisdom that was kept ages from, uh, kept hidden for ages past. A wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Okay, so this is a wisdom that God, when God created the world, He had this wisdom in mind, this plan in mind. It was kept hidden, but now it's been revealed. It was centered on Jesus Christ, the way Jesus Christ destroyed the enemy, but it, we are the benefactors we now hear. It was destined for our glory. We're, we're gonna be glorified because of this wisdom, praise God. Verse 8, look at this. None of the rulers of this age. Rulers are kanton in Greek. Same word that was used in Ephesians. It, re, it refers to uh, the, the high-ranking officials in uh, the satanic realm, okay? None of the rulers of this age. Satan is called the god of this age in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He's called the principality and power of the air. He's one of the rulers of this age. In fact, three times in the book of John, Jesus calls him the ruler of this age. But none of the rulers of this age, including Satan, understood this wisdom, he says. None of the rulers of this age understood it. The wisdom that was kept secret. They didn't get it. Because if they had, 
It says here, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now follow me on this. This is really getting interesting. Okay, so what we learn here is that the mastermind, or at least the one who thought he was the mastermind behind the crucifixion, was Satan. And the rulers, they were the ones, Paul says, who crucified the Lord of glory. But Paul then suggests here that if they had understood the wisdom of God, God's plan, they wouldn't have done it. In other words, what he's telling us is that soon after the crucifixion, let's say three days, um, there was in the spiritual realm a tremendous... Uh oh. <laughs> All of a sudden, the wisdom of God was becoming clear to them. Okay, but there's this incredible reversal here. Okay, this is part of what we are to be declaring to the spiritual realm, uh, making known to the spiritual realm. There's an in your face quality to this whole thing. Okay, we're supposed to be in their face because God got in their face. And here we find that if, if, if these demonic beings had understood the wisdom of God, see, they're evil. They, uh, beings who are evil, to the extent that a person or a, an angel is evil, to that extent they don't understand love. But everything God does is, is about love, and His wisdom is applied towards love. But they don't understand love, so they don't get the wisdom of God. They don't know why He's here on earth. They know who He is, but they don't, they don't know why He's here because they don't understand love. If they had understood that, they wouldn't have done what they did because the whole thing backfired in a pretty significant way. Fact number five. How did it backfire? I love this thing. Colossians chapter 2. Turn to Colossians chapter 2. And here, folks, are you ready? Are you ready to get happy? Are you ready to get happy? Because this, this is a happy verse. This is an incredible joyful verse. This is one of my favorite verses of the whole Bible. Colossians chapter 2. How did this thing backfire? What was it that the demonic realm uh, didn't know, because they didn't know the wisdom of God? What was it that had they known this, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory, but because they didn't know this, they did crucify Him and it backfired. What was it? It was this. Look at verse uh, 12. Paul says, We've been buried with Christ in baptism and raised with Him through your faith in the power of God. Or by the power of God, we were raised from the dead. Note this. That, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead raised you. Do you know that? You are, if you're a believer here this morning, you're a resurrected being. Uh, that, 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 that's cool. Um, when were you dead? Well, Paul says it in the next verse. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. We were dead in sin. We were... We were uh, not just wounded, not just limping along. We were dead. We were six feet under. We were we were rotting. We were, you know, de decomposing in the spiritual realm. You get the point. I don't have to go get more graphic here. Uh, so we were goners. But Jesus Christ, the power of God, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, raised us from the dead. Okay? Now look at this. How did that happen? He forgave us all of our sins. Verse 14. Now it starts getting good. Having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. And that stood opposed to us. Praise God. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. The word public spectacle there means, it's a, it's a word that was used when they would conquer, when, when a, uh, uh, a king or princes or an army was conquered, they'd uh, tie him up and march him around town and everyone would mock them. Okay, that's the word that was used. It means a laughing stock. Some of your translations have laughing stock. Or a mockery, okay? A public spectacle. They, they, these principalities and powers were disarmed and they were made into a mockery. And uh, because they were, had been triumphed over 
through the cross. The cross is what did them in. I want us to know three things about this passage, all right? And this is going to bring it all together. All these little five facts uh, are going to fall into place as we discuss this. Point number one. When Paul says that, uh, that the uh, things that were against us were nailed to the cross, what every person in the first century would know he's talking about is this. When a criminal was crucified, the crime that they committed that got them crucified was nailed above them. The, the, the sin for which they were dying was, was nailed uh, above them. The, the reason why the Romans were justified in killing them, or the supposed reason, was nailed above them. So in the case of Jesus, there was this mockery thing, king of the Jews, right? What Paul is saying, however, is this. If you could have seen with spiritual eyes, there wasn't a little plaque up there uh, that said King of the Jews, for which Jesus died. If you could have seen in the spiritual realm, you would have seen, well, it's not a plaque. It, it, it'd be like a library. It wouldn't be a library. It'd be like all the libraries of the world. It wouldn't be like all the libraries of the world. It'd be like all the libraries of the world times 10 billion. Because what was really nailed above Christ's head was all of the regulations, all of the things, the things that express God's holiness that you and I trespassed. Uh, what was nailed, what was really nailed to the cross, follow me on this, is uh, all the sin that Greg Boyd has ever committed, what was nailed to the cross above Jesus' head, because this is why Jesus died. It wasn't because he, he was the king of the Jews, it's because he's the king of the whole universe who decided to die for the sins of sinful people, amen? And what was nailed to the cross, what was nailed to the cross was the sins of Greg Boyd past, the sins of Greg Boyd present, the sins of Greg Boyd future, and you can say that about every human being that's ever been born. All the things that separated us from God, all the things that condemn us, all the, the regulations that would have sent us to hell, everything that ever separated us from God, everything that would ever send us to hell, everything that gave the enemy a stronghold in our life, everything that gave him a legal hold in our life, everything that gave him ownership of our life, everything that would have condemned us was nailed to the cross. It was obliterated. It was destroyed. As far as the east is from the west, it's been covered by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Done away with. That's what was above his head. It was a cosmic library full of sins. And he paid for it. You gotta, you gotta kind of see this. Uh, you know, it's the minute Jesus died. See, he, he is the one against whom all sin is committed. So he's the one being in the universe who has the right to pay his, to, to pay the debt for sin. And the minute he died, what you gotta see is from the heavenly realm a sort of divine stamp coming down and stamping that whole cosmic library. All those sins listed as high as the eye can see. Every one of them, I see a stamp over the whole thing saying, "Paid in." full praise god in full it is done that's why the bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in christ jesus there's no condemnation to them which are in christ jesus praise god so the second point is this because of what he did the bible says he dis he he he, he disarmed the rulers and authority he disarmed the rulers and the authorities um i love that uh, you, you disarm an army when you go over there and you say give me your guns Lay down your weapons. Lay them down. Come on. And, and, and they lay them down. You've disarmed them. They've got nothing to hurt you with. Okay? They're, 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 uh, they're innocuous. Uh, they're harmless. Uh, because they don't have any weapons. None. Whatever thing they could uh, harm you with is now laid down. Well, when Jesus died on the cross, it says here that he disarmed the principalities and powers. Now, how did he do that? It's very simple. The, the, the only weapon that the enemy has on humanity is our sin. Did you know that? Our sin is what gives him. A sin is, by definition, acting as though God is not Lord. And sin brings you in bondage to Satan. The Bible says whoever sins is a slave to sin. The Bible says that, this is why Jesus said, Satan has no hold on me, because I do not sin. John chapter 14. 
Okay, the only weapon the enemy's ever had on us has been the, the has been our sin. So he accuses us, he condemns us, he gets legal ownership of us, and that's where he wreaks havoc on us. But because of what Jesus Christ has done, praise God, uh, in, 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 in paying it in full, in erasing every debt, in obliterating all the things that were against us, is that he has disempowered the enemy, praise God. He's taken away anything that the enemy has on us. So that believer, believer, if you know who you are in Christ, and if you understand why Jesus came down to earth, if you understand what happened in this incredible feat on the cross, then when the enemy comes at you, and he still does, uh, when he accuses you like he still does, when he tries to bring condemnation on your life, and he still does do that, when that happens, don't try to defend yourself. Don't try to say, hey, I'm not that bad. I did a good deed just last week or whatever. Don't get into that nonsense. Don't go there. Rather, you point your finger to the cross, and you say, there is my sufficiency. I stand under the blood of the cross. Hallelujah. I stand before God righteous. Because of what Christ has done. And so we are here this morning and we're celebrating uh, the fact that if you're a believer, you say yes to this, you are holy, redeemed, spotless, regenerate, sanctified, destined for glory in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of the cross. Because of the cross. Not nothing about Greg Boyd. Huh? Not nothing about ourselves. You point to the cross. There's your, your sufficiency. And when you do that, the enemy is powerless. The only thing he's got on people now is a lie. A lie, because in principle, if they would just say yes to it, sins would be forgiven. Sin's no longer the issue. It's a question of whether they will embrace Christ or not. And so now he lies as though Christ hadn't died for people's sin. And to the extent that we believe that, we fall under condemnation. But you shall know the truth, the Bible says, and the truth shall set you free. Hallelujah. Now, the third point here is this. He says he made him a laughing stock, a joke, a public spectacle. Now, you, now, you, you could understand why Paul might say that the devil was defeated. But why does the verse say, Colossians 2.14, that it was made a laughing stock? What I'm asking is this. Paul, what is so doggone funny? Where's the joke? And to ask that question is now to get at the heart of the wisdom of God. The the, the, the incredible ingenious is the best military move in all of history. Here's what is the joke. Is that the cross... Set us free. The cross forgave us our sins. The cross disempowered the enemy. The cross vanquished them. And who put him there on the cross? We just saw a little earlier. It was the rulers themselves. It was Satan himself. This is good. This is good. Uh, This is why if they would have known, this is the the oops uh, that we'll be getting knee-slapping laughs at throughout eternity. Uh, If they had known what was going on. See, Satan... He didn't understand love. They don't understand love. He's incapable of it. He should be able to understand it. He was created with an incredible capacity to love. But he has, of his own volition, made himself incurably evil. And evil can't understand love. So he sees the Son of God coming down to earth. And and, um, uh, he can't figure this out. This is like the Grinch trying to figure out why the Wahoo kids are still singing. After he stole Christmas, it's like... I, I don't get it, you know. I took the roast beef. I, you know, took their pudding or whatever he says. Uh, he can't figure this out. Uh, what, what is he doing here? Um, he, he doesn't have a clue. The, the rulers don't have a clue. But what he knows is this. Uh, if, if God set aside his omnipotence and became mortal, here he is in the man, Jesus Christ. He's in my backyard. He's in my territory. I got legal authority here. I can kill him. I can kill him. And maybe, just maybe, maybe Satan is saying, maybe I overestimated God's omniscience. You know, maybe he's not that wise. This looks like a really stupid move that he did. 
Well, I don't know why he's down here, but I know this. This is maybe the chance I have for revenge. Satan's thinking he's pretty wise at this point. So he manipulates the crowds. He, 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 he thinks he wisely uses Caiaphas. The Bible says in John 13, 27, that Satan entered Judas before the betrayal. So here's Satan. Okay, oh, I got a pawn here. I can get Satan. I know what I'll do. Hey, this is a great idea. I'll get Jesus betrayed. <laughs> and then I'll move in Caiaphas, and I'll move in Pilate, and I'll move in Herod, and I'll get this whole thing, and I will get this man crucified. The Son of God, what a trophy, what a victory I'm going to get. Hallelujah. And so he masterminds, he, ma- he plays into God's strategy perfectly. He thinks it's his great idea. In fact, it was God's plan from the foundation of the world to use evil for good, to use Satan's evil against himself. This is, you guys, this is a holding, God holds out Jesus like, like bait, as it were, knowing that Satan in his lust for revenge, in his evil lust for power, will not be able to resist this. So he comes down, becomes a man. This is the, this is the bait that the big fish swallowed that actually turned into a bomb. Praise God. And Satan turned into a blowfish when he, when he, when he swallowed it. You know, that, that's what it is. It's great. He's the one who did it. Satan, Satan is the one who crucified Christ. Uh, Satan is the one he disempowered himself. Praise God. Amen. He unemployed himself. Uh, you talk about shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, Satan shot himself in the head. He let us free. He let his own captives free. Praise God. We almost have him to thank for this whole thing. Good job, Satan. What a fool you are. God is infinitely wise. You are defeated. We praise God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. The Trojan horse, that was God's greatest weapon. That, that's what it's about. This is the queen that was sacrificed to checkmate the king, and he even got the queen back. This is the wisdom of God, the outstanding wisdom of God, that, that he doesn't have to flex his bicep to get it done. Satan does a good job of destroying himself, so he just lets evil take a course. And in the whole thing, what's being displayed here is the infinite wisdom of God and the infinite foolishness of Satan and all who were to try to oppose God and his wisdom. Praise God. And now know this. Our job as believers, our job as a church, Ephesians 3.10 says, is to make this this mystery known, to proclaim it, to remind the rulers and authority. There's an in-your-face sassy quality to this. We are to make known the reality of what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, God wants this to be displayed. That's part of our job. It's Easter morning. Let's do it. Let's do it. It'll take one minute. Let's do this. Um, you know, a lot of churches have liturgies uh, on Easter morning. Well, we need a liturgy, right? I, I want a liturgy. We're going to do a liturgy Argentinian style, uh, okay, where, where there's kind of this responsive prayer. And our job is just to make known what is true. Our greatest weapon is truth because the only thing against us is a lie. So by proclaiming the truth, there's power in corporate confession and saying the truth. You shall say the truth and the truth shall set you free. Let's stand up. Ready? Now, if you're a believer, the Bible says to proclaim this. Okay, proclaiming is not, oh, I think you're really good, God. Proclaiming is, God is Lord, Jesus Christ is victorious. That's proclaiming. So we're going to proclaim this right here. Ready? Heavenly Father, we bless you. We thank you. We praise you. Because you are great. You are an awesome God. You are all powerful. And you are all wise. And we declare to the entire spiritual realm that Jesus Christ is victorious. That he has outsmarted the devil. That the devil is destroyed. And we declare to the entire spiritual realm that we are redeemed we are spotless we are pure before God we are forgiven we are slaves no longer and we declare that God is victorious 
His enemies are exposed. And that Jesus Christ is Lord. And He shall reign forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? This is the truth. He's got no hold on us. Praise God. We're about ready to wrap it up. Sit down. Okay, that was just a mid-break here. Uh, not that great. I'm about done. It means two things here, folks, just really quickly. Uh, and then we're going to end with a celebration. Um, number one, it means death is overcome. Praise God. Uh, you know, the Bible says in Hebrews 2.14 that, that Jesus appeared to destroy the one who had the power of death and, uh, and to free all those who all their lives feared death. You know, we still live in a war zone. Uh, the kingdom of God is not totally manifested yet. Satan has in principle been defeated, but the stench of the fall and the curse still lingers, so we still die physically. But the Bible tells us that death has lost its sting in 1 Corinthians 15. Amen? So what it means for th- is this, believer, if you know who Jesus Christ is and what he came to do, you're no longer under the bondage of Satan and death, and death is transformed into a testimony uh, of hopelessness uh, to, a, to a promotion. Praise God. Because the, it's not just resuscitation we're talking about. When you're resurrected, this is the hope of glory. When you're resurrected, the Bible says you shall be like he is. We shall see him as he is, First John 3 says, for we shall be like him. We shall be like him. That's what it says. His glorious body, we're going to have. That means you're not going to be worried about being overweight or underweight any longer. Uh, you're not going to have to be in a wheelchair any longer. There's going to be no more sickness, no disease any longer. No more separation from loved ones any longer. Praise God. No more death, no more destruction, no more kidnapped kids, no more sin, no more hatred, no more war, no more racism, no more devil. Praise God. Hallelujah. No more legislators because Jesus Christ himself will be our king and will reign forever. Amen. It's good news, folks. Amen. Praise God. And the second thing, the second thing is this, that you don't have to wait till you die to begin to walk in the resurrection power of the Lord. You know that? Jesus wants us to, even now the Bible says we have eternal life, and to begin to walk in that, and to begin to celebrate that. Here's what's true. You have within you, believer now, you have within you the power to face hopelessness with hope, because the one who overcame death lives within you. The same resurrection power that brought him out of the tomb is now inside of you. Yield to that power. You have the power to love the unlovable because the one who loved you while you were yet a sinner lives within you. His resurrection power is within you. Learn to yield to that. You have the power to face with confidence and peace situations that would otherwise give you a nervous breakdown. Because the one who overcame death, the one who defeated Satan lives within you and wants to live through you. His resurrection power is there. Learn to yield to that. Praise God. You have the power to face despairing situations with an internal sense of joy because the one who is himself joy unspeakable and full of glory lives within you and wants to live through you. You've got inside you this infinite reservoir of resurrection power. The Christian life isn't about learning how to do good stuff on your own. It's about learning how to yield to the power that is within you because of the resurrection. Praise God. There's one other thing, and it's this. You have the power, the Lord has ordained this, that through the power of prayer, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ can be manifested through healing people. Praise God. Uh, uh, when, when Jesus healed people in his ministry, it was sort of like a prelude to the final healing, which is the resurrection. That's what the resurrection but God wants to manifest, to, to show the reality of that resurrection by giving people back part of their life even here and now. So Jesus did a lot of healing in his life, and we're called to do the same. God works miracles, amen? He's still in the miracle-working business, amen? He still is in the healing business, amen? That's the power of the resurrection at work today. 
We had four weeks or uh, about eight weeks ago now, one of the best miracles I've seen in my life here at church. Lori, who was on staff with us, her son was in this car wreck, was brought in. The, the doctor said he had a, he was in a level five coma, had the worst kind of brain damage you could have called brain sharing. We have an MRI showing that. And they, they gave up hope. They said there was no hope. Uh, you don't recover from this. Uh, you know, there, there's not, basically, if he survives, which they didn't think he would do, he'd be a vegetable. But Lori and many, many, many others continued in, pay, in prayer, and that resurrection power was at work, praise God. Amen. Uh, she came into service uh, about uh, eight weeks ago, uh, interrupted one of my sermons, believe it or not, and, uh, and, and basically was saying, uh, he is risen, he is awake, he is awake. That's the resurrection power of Christ. But I don't want to tell you the story. I want to let Channel 5 News tell you the story. Okay, there's a three-minute segment here, Channel 5 News. When, you know, when God really begins to move in people's life, uh, even the secular media gets a hold of it. And uh, praise God. So let's let Channel 5 give us a testimony about God's resurrection power, giving life back to a guy again. Amen. Live from KSTP-TV, this is Channel 5 Eyewitness News at 10. And then when I took my first step, that was incredible. What was that like for you? That was like living again. A Twin Cities man really feels fortunate to be alive because he came so close to death. Good evening, I'm Randy Meyer. And I'm Julie Nelson. Doctors can't explain it, but some people just have a will to live. Like an Elk River man who came out of a coma a few weeks ago. A man now relishing his second chance. Here's Channel 5's Chris Petro. Well, Eric Peterson had been in a coma since last Thanksgiving when he suffered a severe brain injury in a car crash. Doctors didn't even think he'd survive, but tonight, a very alive Eric believes his tragedy was meant to be so that he could become a better person. These are the first steps on a long road to recovery after Eric Peterson's life almost ended on this road the day after Thanksgiving. I should have been dead. Dead in this wreckage after a van broadsided his car during a family drive with his wife and child. Baby Madison was unhurt, but Eric and Jennifer had to be airlifted to North Memorial. It, it was devastating. It was absolutely devastating. We never, you never think you're going to have anything happen to your children. But the news for Eric was very bad. Yes, it was a severe head injury. They told us that um, he may not make it through the night. I'm sorry, I'm crying. Wife Jennifer woke up to the possibility of becoming a widow. Yeah, reality hit me in the face. It smacked me like a bus. Four weeks, he lay here in a coma. Then he transferred to Bethesda, where there were four more weeks with no change. We kept a bedside vigil. And it was at his bedside where his mother says a miracle happened. Suddenly, Eric spoke. And that, now we know. I just jumped up and I just screamed and there's just come running in. Running in to see these eyes and this smile. And then when I took my first step, that was incredible. What was that like for you? That was like living again. He's, he's miraculous. It's wonderful to see him up and walking and talking. Not only that, Eric's family sees a change in him that no medicine could make. He is more emotional, more uh, loving and caring and thoughtful. And Eric sees his tragedy as a gift from God. He realized my life was so bad that it didn't need to end at that moment he gave life back to me. A second chance to rejoice at the simple things 
and at every step on the long journey back. Chris Patro, Channel 5 Eyewitness News. Family and friends are holding a benefit this Saturday. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God, you are an awesome God. He is risen. What an awesome God we serve. You know, Lori tells me that he's actually, I don't recognize that guy from the guy I saw in, in, crippled up on the bed when I went to visit him. And Lori says he's, he's come a long way since, in the last three weeks since then. His speech and his walking, he keeps on making incredible improvement. Praise God. We serve an awesome God, don't we? Praise God. Let's end by celebrating it one more time, declaring to the heavenly host who it is we live for, who it is we celebrate. Celebrate Jesus. <laughs>